Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Today we have a moment to spend in your word. We ask that your spirit would be with us to guide and lead us. Have a message individually for each of us in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. If you were about to die, who would you want to talk to and what would you want to communicate? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 15 tells us that this was actually what Peter was talking about as he was writing the second book of Peter. We've gone through 1 Peter 1 and we've discovered how to live as aliens in a world that does not follow Christ. And now in 2 Peter, we're beginning our journey through 2 Peter. And as Peter starts this second uh, section of his book, he says there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So what is Peter saying? He's saying, I'm about to die. This tent, this body is about to give out. And I want to talk to you and communicate some things that hopefully you'll remember. And with that in mind, let's look at chapter 1 and verse 1. First of all, Peter says, I want you to remember my journey. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who obtained like precious faith with us with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. First, I want you to remember I started out as Simon, a big mouth fisherman. Jesus called me Simon Johnson, Simon the son of John. And I became a follower, a servant of Jesus. This was not an easy process for me. At first, I tried to tell him what to say or not to say. I used to talk, but not listen. I used to try and lead, but now I follow. I used to make my own promises, but now I trust in his promises. Ultimately, I realized that I was not the greatest, but that he was the greatest. And ultimately, I was sent to be, as a result, an apostle of Jesus. I don't start by telling you I'm an apostle because I'm really no different than you. I humbly am here to share his righteousness, the righteousness of our God and Savior. I'm not righteous. He's righteous. And I humbly admit to you that I need faith just like you do. We all need to obtain precious faith. Something we don't have in and of ourselves. First Peter 1 verse 2, I want you to know, know God, and I want you to experience the benefits of such knowledge. I want you to realize that it's not just about amazing facts or amazing opinions. It's about an experience that you need to have with God. And I want you to understand that grace and peace 
can be multiplied to you, and I want it to be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How is it that you come to know God? John said, you search the scriptures daily, and they, they are they that testify of me. And Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of God. And I want you, as you read those books, as you read about God, to experience multiplied grace and multiplied peace. Don't settle for a small amount of these. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Plethuno, to increase, to abound, to multiply. Grow. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't settle for a small amount of grace. Because a small amount of grace is really a disgrace. It's no grace at all. It's not the true grace. True grace is dynamic. True grace is growing. True grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and unrighteousness and live righteous and sober in this present age. Don't settle for less. Well, what happens when true grace is multiplied? 2 Peter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In other words, when you have... God's grace multiplied in your life when you have his peace poured into your heart. You will have divine power in your life. And you'll have everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. Knowledge will be increased about life, natural life, all types of anything you need to know about life and godliness. In other words, a supernatural life. Not just a natural life, but a God-like life. A life that demonstrates you know God. You know, here at this university we have a degree called natural science. And I'm kind kind of wondering why we call it natural science. Why don't we call it supernatural science? Because isn't it really supernatural? There have been attempts throughout history to separate natural from super. And science from religion. Or science from God. Pythagoras encouraged all to worship infinity. Infinity is God, said Pythagoras. Plato said, worship the perfect abstract world of the forms. Frigg said, and Bertrand Russell and Alfred North, they all attempted to prove that every mathematical fact could be proven on the basis of logic, trying to get people to believe that the natural sciences were not supernatural at all. They were just the creation of man. Math was created by man, said these philosophers. So I'm wondering why we call our degree natural science when we really know it's supernatural. 
David Hilbert claimed that mathematics was self-dependent. It did not need to refer to any authority outside itself in order to prove any of its truth claims. And he called his philosophy of math formalism. This all came to a crashing halt. All these notions and all these amazing opinions came to a crashing halt when an amazing fact was discovered and spoken of by Gödel in 1931. All these theories crumbled when he proved what he called the undecidability theorem. No logical system, if they include counting numbers, can have all three of the following properties, he said. Validity, all conclusions are reached by valid reasoning. Number two, consistency, no conclusions can contradict any other conclusions. And number three, completeness, all statements made in the system are either true or false. He summarized his undecidability theory, which I have to admit I had a hard time understanding or uh, deciding what it meant, so I read it three times, but I liked his summary statement. Anything you can draw a circle around cannot explain itself with referring to something outside the circle. Something you have to assume but cannot prove. So in other words, what he was saying was all of these notions by Pythagoras onwards, they didn't work. Math cannot play the role of God as infinite and autonomous. Logic itself proved that mathematics could not be its own ultimate foundation. Math is simply not just natural, it's supernatural. And as Galileo once said, mathematics is the language that God used to create the universe. And as Kepler said, we think God's thoughts after him. Why is it that Newton and the one that he argued with about who was the founder of calculus both came up Leibniz? Leibniz. Why was it that Newton and argued, argued about calculus but the one thing they didn't argue about was they both discovered the same thing? There's another theory that's in vogue now that makes no sense. That math came up by intuition. I'm not even going to try and explain why they think that makes sense. Two people having the same intuition, multiple people having the same intuition, and it's the only thing that works. There is order. There is system. It's simply not natural. It's supernatural. Even though we may have discovered it, it was there all the time. Galileo said, mathematics is the language that God used to create the universe. And Newton said, when I wrote my treatise about our system, I had an eye upon such principles as might work with considering men for a belief in the deity. And nothing can rejoice me more than to find it useful for that purpose. So Newton, perhaps one of the most profound and influential scientists that has ever known, the discoverer of calculus, uh, was basically saying, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth showeth forth his handiwork. Amen. And let me spend a few years, because there was a pandemic, studying it all out. <laughs> Newton hoped his scientific writings would lead people to think about and believe in God. 
And when you think about it, without the Bible, they wouldn't even have maybe had a hint about mathematics to begin with. And that's why I like Peter. He talks about addition. He talks about multiplication. But that's not the only math in the Bible. There's also subtraction. Sometimes God gets our attention by subtraction. He says, okay, you have 32,000 students. I only want you to have 22,000 students. Okay, you have 22,000 students. I only want you to have 9,700 students. Okay, you have 9,000 in your army. I only want you to have 300. Because I want you to understand that by my math, less is many times more. I can win with many or by few. The only thing that's important is that I have a righteous remnant. And one with God is always a majority. Sometimes God teaches through division. He divides the land. He divides to us different gifts. And yet he's still glorified through the act of division. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Creation is described in Psalm 19, and then its code is described with the Ten Commandment law. Knowledge is increased about life when we read God's book. Very first chapter in the Bible is Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. And then it continues in that whole chapter using numbers on day one, day two, day three, day four. It lays the foundation for mathematical thought, really, when you think about it. And then those numbers are used in different ways throughout the scriptures. And Peter uses them in a form of addition. But Peter goes beyond mere facts and mere formulas. And he says the Bible was not just given for our information, for subtraction, division, addition, and multiplication. No, the Bible's calculus is a little bit more in-depth than that. The Bible was not just given for information. It was given for transformation. Why do we say that? Because in the text we just read, his divine power was has given us all things that pertain to life and, we just talked about life, pertain to life and what? Godliness. Godliness. You can know all science in terms of natural science, if you want to call it that, and yet not know God. You can be very godless. But that's not what Peter's after. Even though he stipulates, yes, I believe in math. I believe in addition. I believe in multiplication. Even though he understands that. He says, wait, there's something more transformative about math you should know. By the way, a day is a thousand years in God's math. I'll talk about that maybe in another sermon. Just getting our attention a little bit. But I want you to know that his divine power not only helps us understand life, but how we can have everlasting life, godliness. And this is increased so that we might give him glory. 
especially as we live in the hour of his judgment. So let's continue on by looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. How is this power accessed? What is the purpose? Well, he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, the divine power, the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. Think about what this is saying. It is saying this is a precious promise. What does the word precious mean? What is a precious promise? It's very, very valuable. It's mathematically very high in terms of value. And I want you to know, before I die, how valuable it is, Peter says. <laughs> because you can become a partaker of something not finite, but something infinite. Amen. Something not just now, but forever. Something not just human, but divine. And you can escape corruption that's in the world through lust. You can get away, you can flee, says the word escape. And that word lust, it just means desire for that which is forbidden. Did Peter have any kind of things he needed to escape in his life? Did he have a temper? Was he impatient? Was he someone that would forget to stay awake when he should have stayed awake? Was he someone that misled people? Was he someone that even tried to tell the Lord what to do instead of follow the Lord? And he's saying, look, at the end of my life, before I die, I want to let you know, you can escape through the power of God. You know, we sometimes short sell ourselves, is what Peter is saying. He explains what this means. He says, God's grace is so much more powerful. Look at verse 5. By the way, did you like that singing of those verses today? Amen. Thank you, Jordan and Josh. I was actually on the internet saying, I wonder if I could find a song about 1 Peter, you know, kind of just immersing myself in first, or 2 Peter, rather. And all of a sudden, I saw these two guys with a piano on the top of a mountain singing the song, Three Guys. And I looked closer, and one of them was Jordan, and the other was Josh. <laughs> and I said, how did they get that piano on the top of the mountain? Well, that's what happens at Fountain View. So uh, they don't keep the pianos normally in the church. They put them on mountains and uh, kids sing around them. So thank you for that. But look at this. Look at the demonstration here of what God's power is, his divine power, his grace, that actually helps us move beyond the natural to the supernatural. It's describing the graces of God in verse 5. For this very reason, give diligence and add, there's the addition, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. In other words, the grace of God 
that you should abound in, that you should grow in, is actually uh, described here in these verses. You don't have faith of yourself. It's promised. It's a gift that you get through the Spirit. Grow into faith. And then virtue. The word virtue there means valor. You realize how he was faithful to you and how he was a mighty man of valor on your behalf. And you say, I want that as well. And then knowledge. The word knowledge, gnosis there is actually the same word for science. And then self-control. That word control means power. So you have faith. You have valor. You, You maybe are a man or a woman of the sciences. You realize they're not natural. They're supernatural. And as a result, you don't just accumulate that that knowledge, but you're kind of like Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton put down all things of the flesh so he could study God. And uh, he became one of the most prominent people ever because he studied the Bible the most of anything he ever studied. And he would spend hours and days attempting to understand science, not because of science, but because of scripture. He was a man known for great self-control. Now you may be interested in his life a bit. I recently read a dissertation on his life or reading it. And um, (laughs) interesting how he kind of got into science. He was at school one day, and he uh, saw a young person about his age. They were all Puritans at that time. And he grew up in the area where the Puritans uh, were located, especially, well, they were all over the country, but especially in this particular area. And um, there was a bully in the school that was beating people up, and he... uh, He beat Isaac Newton up one day. Isaac Newton got up and said, I'm not going to let a bully beat me up. And so he stuck, he went to that young man and he he put his face in the mud. And uh, he realized that this young man also was very, very vocal about how smart he was. And so he said, okay, I'm also going to become smart. And that coupled with the fact that his mother had two husbands that died, so he had, I think, three, uh, two stepfathers plus his biological father. And these stepfathers had many books. He read all the books and he became brilliant, all because he wanted to beat up a bully. But the biggest bully he wanted to beat up was the devil. And I want to suggest to you the biggest bully in our life is really the devil. And if we couple our lives with God, what the text is saying here and what this illustration hopefully brings to light is that we can have perseverance, which is the next grace that's mentioned. And we can have godliness, which is the next grace that's mentioned. And we can have brotherly kindness, And ultimately, it's all summarized. We can have love. This is the picture that Peter is painting for us. How many of you are interested in being partakers of the divine nature? 
How many are interested in the calculus of Christianity? How many, how many of you are interested in not just natural science, but supernatural science? I like how Ellen White puts it. To those who are preparing for heaven, I wish to say, in the Christian life, we are to work on the plan of addition. And if we are faithful in working on this plan, God works for us in the plan of multiplication. Amen. Wow, this is God's calculus. <laughs> this is God's calculus. And it's all of him. All of him. <clears throat> How is it that you could take credit as Gideon with 300 people? You couldn't take any credit. There might be 300 people, but that's not the reason you won the battle. It's because God alone. This is supernatural. God is giving us exceedingly great and precious promises. You see, there was a change in Peter. He used to say, I can do it. I promise I'll do it. I'll never desert you. He made outlandish promises. But he didn't do any more. He didn't do that anymore. He said, I can't do it. I'm going to let you do it. I can't keep your law, but I'm going to let you keep your law in me. Amen. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to let you do what you want to do. Amen. I don't have my power. I need your power. Amen. I don't want to keep making promises. I want to claim your promises. Amen. I don't want a desire to be the greatest. I want to be a servant. I want to be a follower, and I want to be an apostle. Not so I can say, I'm an apostle, but so I can talk about your righteousness. I can serve people. I like verse 8 and 9. If these things are yours, and you abound. In other words, if you allow me to add to your life, I'll multiply things for you. You will abound. You'll, you'll not be barren. You'll not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to confess that many times I've been unfruitful, even though I have knowledge. I mean, you want to admit that today. Yes. You know a lot of things. I know a lot of things. <laughs> but has it really changed my life? How many of you want it to change your life? Amen. I don't want to be unfruitful. He says, look, if you have these things, you won't be barren or unfruitful. Your life is pregnant with possibilities. And you will start to see those develop in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things is short-sighted. There he's even talking about <laughs> what Newton would talk about, optics, right? Wow. Even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. What's he saying? Christianity in your life is not just facts and opinions. It's transformative. He wants to say, look, I used to be a big mouth and my mouth is now almost shut. But the last thing I want to say is nothing about myself. I want to say something about him. Amen. How many of you want this for your life? 
That's the picture that we see here. And what God is asking us to do, he's saying, look, I know you don't like math, but do the math. Do the math. One step at a time. You just take that next step based on my promise. Just, just, just live in whatever that promise is that moment. Live in that promise. Be faithful in that promise. Not faithful to your own promise. Faithful to my promise. And as you do that day by day, that addition will somehow turn into multiplication. And you'll not just have life. You'll have everlasting life. Amen. Everlasting life. What a precious promise. And you'll not have your own righteousness. You're not talking about what you did right. You're talking about what I did right in your life. You'll be humble. You'll be a servant. And because of that, I can send you anywhere. You can be my apostle. How many want to stand on the promises? Well, let's close together with our closing hymn, Standing on the Promises. Let's stand together as we sing. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.